have you ever done anything that's just like not in line with who you are and your character and what people know about you? Uh, and I have, and you know, it's one of the most humbling things when people say to you, not like you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, or this isn't really who you are. Like this isn't the type of person that you normally are. This isn't in line with your morality or who you claim to be or what you want to be about. It's a really humbling thing. I remember uh, one of the reasons I'm up here today is because uh, somebody said that to me once. Uh, It's been almost 10 years ago now and probably actually been over 10 years ago by about a month. Uh, And I was going to, after college, take a year off. I was going to work a marketing job Uh, And uh, a girl, an ex-girlfriend actually, on the phone said, the Chad I knew never would have taken a year off to make money from ministry is what she meant. He never would have taken a year off from ministry to make money. And, And I was working at Creekside within like a month after those words because she was right. I had kind of drifted. I had kind of faded away from my passion for serving Jesus and and she was right. And and so I, like, seriously, the next day I got online and uh, on my school's job board and I saw this little church called Creekside Bible Church that was looking for a youth pastor for 15 hours a week. And then now I'm here. Uh, and I've been here ever since. And it was all because, not because she said, like, that's stupid or you're an idiot or how could you? But it was like, that's not in line with what I know about who you are. And the phrase we say a lot of times about people when they're doing something that doesn't line up with with what we know about their identity is like that is so out of character for them. You know, you've said that about people. You've you've watched them do something. You've heard about something they've done. And then you go either behind their backs or to their faces. You're like, man, that was just so out of character. It just like I might have expected that from somebody else but I didn't expect that from them based on what I know about them. Over the last like six weeks now, we've talked about how if we're in Christ, if we are Christians, and this only applies if we're Christians, we have a new identity. And we've seen some of the great things that that identity has in it. I mean, we're called and we're saved and we're God's family and we're chosen and we have a special purpose and we're uniquely designed. And we have this this really great, fantastic new identity if we are in Christ. And here's, this is what I see. If you compare that identity to the way in which most Christians live their lives We could say about like 90 to 95% of Christians in our country at least, that is just so out of character. The way they live their lives is so out of character based on this new identity that they've now claimed and taken a hold of in Christ. What happens if we're paying attention to our new identity at all, and if you've liked this series at all and learned anything at all, what you've probably done and what you've probably thought about is like, I like to really take a hold of that stuff. I like to really grasp a hold of the idea that I'm saved and I'm forgiven and that I'm God's child and that I'm loved, but I don't think about or want to think about maybe or care to think about what that does to my lifestyle and how I must live differently now in order to be in line with who I am. The way I I think about kind of 
this kind of being out of character, I think, and I do this a lot because I like sports, but I just think about sports, and I think about people like LeBron James. He just finished the finals, and it's amazing to me when LeBron James has like a semi-bad game, a, a game that every other human being on earth would love to be able to play, to be able to do the things he does, but he has a semi-bad game, and then everybody just jumps on him for being horrible or for messing up or for choking or whatever it might be. I'm one of those people because I'm not a fan, and it's like, who? what is he doing out there? And if you just stopped, you'd be like, well, he's way better than everybody else still, but it's because what we've seen, we know who he is and what he can do and how physically gifted it is, he is, and we go, well, that's just out of character that doesn't make sense for based on who he kind of is and what he's done and in Christian circles what I see is that we've become like LeBron James we have become something else we've taken on a new identity but most people live their lives kind of based on who they were before they became Christians or at least just trying to be a little better than they were before they became Christians and, and what I think Paul is going to say to us over the next couple of weeks as we look at this passage is, hey, I have told you, this is Paul talking, I have told you about your new identity in Christ, who you are, what you've become, the traits that you've taken on, how much greatness you now have in, in your character and all of those great things. And so because of that, I want to call you to live a life that is in line with that new identity, that is in line with that new character, that is in line with who you really are and not who you used to be. You see, for us who are Christians, goodness, a good life, should really be like the norm. We should be living like good, whatever standard you're using for that, we should be living that out. We should be living in a way that is unique compared to other people, that is special, that is beneficial to the world, that pleases God. But a lot of times we don't. We just kind of live a life that is contrary to our new identity. And here's how Paul begins. He says in Ephesians 4, 17, we're going to cover a lot of verses today, uh, but it won't talk that long, but we'll talk about a lot of verses, so stay with me. 4.17, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, a little bit of a confusing kind of thing that Paul does here throughout the the, the, the book uh, of Ephesians so far. He's been using the term Gentiles for, for people who aren't Jewish. But here he like flips it on his head and he uses it in the more metaphorical way that you'll see in the New Testament. And that is for people who aren't Christians. And so the Bible, while the, the real word, word means non-Jew, they start to apply it to people who are not Christians. And so Paul says, here, here's what I insist on. Easy. Here's what I insist on. That you no longer live like a non-Christian. You no longer live like you have your old identity. You no longer live in a way that is contrary to your new identity called saved, loved, all those things. He says, look, this is, it's a funny thing for Paul to say, right? because he says a lot of things, right? A lot of very important things in the Bible. But here's what I insist on, Paul says. That you don't live in light of who you were, you live in light of who you are in Christ. He continues, Ephesians 4, 18 and 19. 
They are darkened, talking about Gentiles, talking about people who aren't in Christ. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now think about it. Paul says, look, here's the story with non-Christians. They don't think like us. It's all about pleasuring themselves and, and making themselves happy and making themselves feel good. It's not about morality. It's not about obedience to God. It is very far from that. It is darkened in their understanding. And what Paul says is that the logical end of this is if you don't have any standard for morality, then then you just kind of drift and drift and drift and things get worse and worse and worse. And, And we see a lot of this in our world today, right? I mean, don't we, if we were being honest, we we look around and we go, Man, if we went back 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 80 years, some of these things that people are doing, that people are fulfilling themselves with, never would have been thought of. And it's because we have taken away this line of morality that we used to have in our country, which was kind of a Christian line of morality, and people who aren't Christians have drifted further and further and further away from what we deem as good or helpful or right and it gets morally just more crass and gross all the time and this isn't to say I want to point this out that every single non-Christian is just out there doing wretched things I mean we don't think that we don't believe that we can look around and talk about our non-Christian friends who are pretty nice people but this is to say that apart from being in Christ The mind is going to lead us further and further away from what is good and what is right and what is holy. And Paul says like, hey, this is who you were, not who you are. And so it's really important, in fact, I insist on it, that you stop trying to live like people who don't know Jesus and you start living like a person who does. You see, it's funny, it's funny, and I'm not kind of, laughing kind of way but like a ridiculous way that we who are christians oftentimes base our morality our lifestyles on what culture and a bunch of non-christians are telling us is okay isn't that the truth and and it may not be you but as i look around just kind of in church culture in general in our society today what i find when i read on facebook and i see my friends who call themselves christians And I see so much of this where it's just like, well, the world has moved the line a step this way, so I'll move the line a step this way too. Well, they took another step. Well, I'll kind of take another step too, and I'll be, I'll be just kind of on the good side of whatever's considered okay. I'll just kind of be on the good side of it because I don't want to be on the bad side, but I'll walk that line and I'll find that line based on what culture has told me is normal and okay and acceptable. Paul says, wait a minute, you've taken on a whole new identity and your whole new identity is something totally different and the morality that we believe in and subscribe to in this new identity is totally different and so why would you be driven in your choices by what the world is describing is okay or not okay for you? Now I could be preaching to the choir, you're sitting here 
in Oregon in a church, so you probably care more about what the Bible says and what God wants than other people. But the reality is, a huge majority of professing Christians in our culture today are letting their morality be driven by what the world says is right and wrong and not by what God says is right and wrong. And Paul says, this is stupid because you are letting your morality be dictated by people who have a depraved mind who are going further and further away from what God wants all the time. That's what he's saying. And so I want you to stop, even though I could be preaching to the choir here, and just for a moment, just think in your own head, just one second, are there areas of my life where I am letting my morality be dictated by the world and not by Jesus and my new identity in Christ? Paul continues in 20 through 25. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned about when you learned about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me just ask a question. I think it's an important question. I think sometimes when it comes to whether or not we are living out our new identities, I think questions are better. It's just this. Are you living in according to the truth that is in Jesus, are you living in accordance with the morality of the Bible? Are you trying to live out the morality that is taught to us in the word of God? And Paul says this, when you first became a Christian, maybe this is the problem, we're not doing this anymore in modern America church, but when they became Christians, somebody said to them, hey, here's the, here's the big thing, Become a Christian by accepting that Jesus died and rose again according to Scripture for your sins. And, also important, this means you're going to become something very different. You see, what Paul says that they were taught at the beginning of their Christian faith is something that it seems the modern American church has left off altogether. We say, become a Christian, go to heaven someday. Apparently, they said, Paul and his comrades back then, become a Christian, live a totally different life. That's important. And Paul says, this is what you were taught. When you become a Christian, you put off your old self, the things that were in line with your old identity, the things that lined up with the worldly morality, and you take on something new and different. When I spent my two months as a summer missionary in Idaho, the pastor over there uh, that I worked with, his name was Ken Young, a great guy. And one of the things that he did every day is he would read in the book of Colossians um, and he would take a passage that also talks about putting off the old self with its sinful desires in nature and, and putting on the new self. And he would actually pray through the list of things in that passage and say, okay, I'm trying to take off today greed. I'm going to try to not have it be a part of my life. I'm going to remove it. I'm going to try to take off lust and make it just something that isn't a part of who I am and what I do. And then he would, he would actually pray through and say, okay, I'm putting on love and I'm putting on joy and I'm putting on kindness and I, I'm going to make that the clothing of my day. Because Ken, and man, to just if you knew Ken, you'd be like, this guy, this guy did it. I mean, he was a guy who, who was and is uh, 
every day trying to put off the old self and not live according to his old identity, but live according to his new identity. Paul here uses two words that kind of summarize this new identity. Righteousness is the first word, and it can be defined this way. The doing or being what is right and just. The character and acts of a man commanded by and approved by God. In virtue of which the man corresponds with him and his will as his ideal and his standard. It signifies the sum total of all that God commands and proves. I love that. I mean, ask yourself. Just ask yourself, is my ideal standard that of the world's and being a little better than what they say is okay? Or is my ideal standard that which God has called me to and asked me to be and do? That's the million dollar question. The second word, holiness, is not the normal word for holiness in the New Testament. It's only used a couple times, and you'll read the word holy in English a whole bunch in the New Testament. But this word is translated holiness here, but it's only used a couple times in the New Testament. It means holiness or godliness, as manifested in the doing of religious and social duties. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says, what a man does by disposition in accordance with his inward attitude and inner acceptance of what is felt to be binding. In 1 Kings 9.4 in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word is used and it says this, As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe, and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. He says this to Solomon and he's saying, look, integrity, this holiness that I'm asking for, is that you make an inward decision to be about the things that I am about. That's what God is calling him to. And so Paul says, look, your old self, it was all about you and fulfilling your desires and and, and being satisfied in your body. But now in your new self, if you're going to live in accordance to your new identity, then it's all about looking at God and saying, what have you declared? What do you want? Because that is what I want to be about. That is what I am committed to. And the thing that stands in the middle, according to Paul, is to be made new in the attitude of your minds. In uh, Marvin Vincent's word studies in the New Testament, he said the change is not in mind physiologically, either in its essence or in its operation, and neither is it in the mind as if it were a superficial change of opinion, either on points of doctrine or practice, but it is in the spirit of the mind, in that which gives mind both its bent and its materials of thought. It is not simply in the spirit as if it lay there in dim and mystic quietude, but it is in the spirit of the mind and the power which when changed itself radically alters the entire sphere and business of the inner mechanism. Conversion is a renunciation of a self-centered identity in favor of a Christ-centered identity. All that shapes us is given over to Christ and his mindset of self-giving love becomes our mindset. You see, Paul says what stands between the old self and the new self, what what stands between living in, in light of your old identity in light of your new identity is that somewhere in that brain of yours, you say, I'm going to make a decision to live my life for Jesus and not for myself, and not in line with what the world declares. Romans 12, 2 says it this way, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect 
will. What Paul is saying to us is that if we're going to live in light of our new identity, then it's simply making a decision to say, I will be all about what God wants me to be about. My grandpa and I were talking not that long ago. And I don't know how it came up, but we were talking about uh, my sermons and and kind of Christian morality and what we see going on in the world today. And, and this is kind of what we came to. Um, this, is, this is me as much as him. Like, my sermons shouldn't really be necessary. Uh, what, what we kind of see is my grandpa and I look around. He's a depression baby, you know. And, I mean, he's, he's a, ki- a guy that just kind of has black and white and sees things like right and wrong. And, but, what, but what we said is, like, when we look at the Bible... And we look at people's lives, it's pretty clear that it's not that complicated most of the time to know what God wants. It's just simply not that complicated. And a lot of people, maybe you, what you do is you say, here's the thing. I'll make the Bible really complicated in my brain because I've never really made a decision to be about the things of Jesus and not the things of self for the world. You see, I shouldn't have to preach sermons because really you could just open your Bible And you could be like, hey, this is what it says to do. I'm going to do it. There isn't that many complicated things. Sure, there's some things that come up that maybe we need to address. Sure, I spend a lot of time studying the Bible. But for the most part, simple morality, right and wrong, is pretty easy. Should you lie or not lie? Not. We know that, right? But yet people go like, well... It's kind of a weird situation here, you know. Maybe I'll wait for Chad to preach on this specific subject. You know, what if about this, or I might hurt somebody's feelings. Just don't do it. But the problem is, the problem, what Paul says, the difference between a person who does right and who doesn't do right, is that the mind has been changed. And the person who lives for Jesus and lives in light of the new identity has declared inside of themselves somewhere deep down in the core of their being, I will do what is right. I will do what God wants me to do and not everything else. And what Paul is saying is you, you need to make that decision. Don't play games with it. Make the decisions, he continues. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. We are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, and it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. There isn't a ton of explanation needed. Is there? I mean, do you really need a sermon on that? Do you really need to read a book on that? Couldn't you just open that up every day and be like, here's how I live different. I've made a decision to follow Christ, so I'm not gonna talk dirty. I'm actually gonna say things that benefit people. I am going to forgive that person instead of holding on to my bitterness. I'm not going to scream at my wife. I'm not going to scream at my husband. I mean, couldn't we just wake up and say, instead of lying, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to work hard today instead of being lazy butt. I mean, isn't it that easy? I mean, there's other lists too. 
in Galatians 5, 16 through 26, and Colossians 3, 1 through 13, which I alluded to earlier. I mean, you can write those down. You can wake up every day. You can read them, and you can say, hey, instead of lusting today, I'm not going to lust. Instead of looking pornography today, I'm not going to look at pornography today. Instead of being mean to people, I'm going to be nice to people. Instead of being dishonest, I'm going to be honest. I mean, it's not that difficult. It's not brain surgery. It's right there in the word of God. He's given us several lists to say, this is good, this is bad. And what we do as Christians is we say, yeah, kinda, I wanna live a little better than everybody else. But what if we just made a decision to say deep in my being, I am going to live the way God wants me to live. And I don't care if I feel like telling a lie, I'm not gonna tell a lie. And I'm not gonna do some type of spiritual gymnastics to get there. And I don't care if I feel like yelling at that person. I'm not going to yell at that person. I don't care if I feel like cheating at work and, and taking shortcuts because I know what the Bible has declared. There are very few things, very, very few things that Christians don't inherently understand are right or wrong. Very, very few things. And we look, we do, you know this, you look at some of the bigger sins the bigger things, and, and you look at Christians who do them and you judge them and, and say, well, that's wrong, and you I rightfully judge them as wrong. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You go, that's wrong, and how could they, and how dare they? Well, all the while, you, you are either one of two things, not opening the Bible so you don't have to hear about how you're living wrong and just continuing your sin, or you're blatantly disregarding what God has said to you. It's just not that difficult. Sometimes in the heat of the moment, putting things into practice that we know we ought to do can be difficult. I don't want to discredit that. There's addictions and there's quick tempers and we sometimes have been doing things so long in our old identities that it's really hard on the fly to not do them even when we have a new identity. I get that. But the reality is, right, like a lot of us are just kind of making decisions not to do the right things. Or even maybe, maybe I don't know if it's better or worse. I won't, I won't qualify that, but better or worse. Uh, how many, I mean, people that you know, maybe you're one of them, are never even opening up the Bible to find out what God wants you to do in the first place. I mean, oh, you have a new identity and there's a way you should live if you want to live out that identity, but you never open the Bible and you make these lame, lame excuses I mean, all the time, well, I'm tired or I'm busy. You're not that busy. You watch TV all the time. I mean, you just have time to open up the word of God and find out what is right and what is wrong. It's not that difficult. And you go, well, I, you know, I just don't get as much out of the Bible as when you preach it to me. Come on. You know what unwholesome talk is. You know what unwholesome talk is. You know when you say something that's unwholesome. If it's a four-letter word that people think are bad, it's probably unwholesome. If it's something that's sexual that doesn't, isn't in line with you know, what you would talk about in front of Jesus, it's probably unwholesome. You already know you don't need an explanation. So open your Bible, read what it says about right and wrong and what you ought to do and what you ought not to do, and then do it. What a world-changing sermon, huh? Read the Bible. This is the point so far that I've made. Read the Bible and live out the Bible. But if you're going to do that, it starts, because Paul says it's foundational, with you making a decision deep in the very core of your being to say, I will be about in this new identity the things that God wants me to be about. 
and not the things that I want to be about. It's just saying, I'm going to lose myself in Christ. In Christ. Now notice, because he throws in a couple of identifiers here that I don't want to ignore. He says, forgive each other, and then he gives you this reason. It's part of your new identity. Because, or just as, in Christ God forgave you. If you're a Christian, will you say, I am forgiven? You're forgiven. And Paul doesn't want you to forget that he just has given you this list of things you ought do or ought not do in light of who you are in Christ. Not so that you can get in Christ. Not so that you can become a Christian if you make everything better. Not because you're expected to be perfect, but because you are forgiven and you are God's dearly loved children. And that's what we read in the next two verses. Follow God's example, therefore. As dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. More literally, this verse begins, be imitators. So Rogan is my nephew and he's my first boy nephew that's old enough to like just be able to teach anything to. And this is fantastic. I've mentioned before that I love having nieces and nephews because you just ship them with their parents and you don't really care if, you know, you teach them things that are, you know, bad to their parents. But, you know, morally I try to keep them in line and all that. So I like teaching Rogan things that I think are funny that maybe Ashley here doesn't think are funny. And one of my best times is, is uh, he had his swimming pool out in the yard and, and I just started slamming his toys. I mean, something like a chair. We had a chair and we're slamming it in the swimming pool and Rogan would come up with this little uh, scuba Steve and he would come up and he'd chuck it in there and water would go everywhere. And, and really all it took was me just doing it, and then Rogan was like, hmm, I'll do it too. And then after like 45 minutes, Ashley stuck her head out the window and goes, don't teach him that. <laughs> too late, too late. Um, imitation, we understand. We see it in little kids best, right? I mean, Rogan looks at me, I'm kind of his favorite human being, and he goes... I really am. I really am. I mean, every family party, no offense to the other uncles in the back back there, but I'm kind of his favorite. And, uh, you know, it's like, Chad, Chad. And, and it's easy to teach him things. And what if, like, Jesus was our favorite? Because it says, be imitators of God. And we don't know how to imitate an all-knowing, all-powerful being. But then God came to earth in the form of a human, as a human and now we know what it looks like to imitate Jesus. And what if, what if we're like, I'm not my favorite anymore. Jesus is my favorite. And we just copied him. What if we just, here's a novel idea. We just looked at the word, or the, the word of God, the Bible and the stories about Jesus. And we said, I'll do my best to be like him. And obviously, I wouldn't recommend like telling somebody to walk on water or anything like that. But like just the morals, like just the way he treated people, just his kindness and his mercy and his grace, but yet his sternness when he saw sin and called, and called it out for what it was. I mean, you've seen the bracelets, WWJD, have you ever seen them? Or In His Steps, have you ever read that book, which is kind of where the WWJD idea comes from? Great book, you should read it. It's all about like just saying, I'm going to follow in Jesus' steps. 
If Jesus slams something in the kiddie pool, then I'm going to slam something in the kiddie pool. I'm going to do what he does and be like him. If you want to live an identity that shows that you are in Christ, then you have to live out an identity that suggests you're following Christ, Jesus, the one who came to save us. And Paul reminds us again that we follow this example as dearly loved children. If you're a Christian, will you say, I'm a dearly loved child? That was a little harder of a sentence for you guys to say. I could tell. I was like, ugh, ugh. Uh, We're dearly loved children. My dad, as he got up here and said, Happy Father's Day, already expressed the importance of this and, and how we as children, when we look at a father, especially a loving father, we want to imitate them. When we look at somebody who has showed us what it means to be a family and showed us that type of love, we want to imitate them. Now, we've talked about in the series, a lot of times we imitate bad examples in our lives, and we do that unintentionally. But for the most part, when we see a good example, we go, that's what I want to be like. That's what I want to be like. And Jesus died on a cross so we could be the dearly loved family of God. And Paul says here, look, like, just copy him. And look at how he sacrificed. Look at how his life was driven by the love of people and the love of God because he sacrificed and he made an offering that was a sweet aroma to the Father in heaven. His whole life was driven by showing love to people in order that God might be glorified and our lives should be the same. The gospel story should dictate how we live. Paul uses this word fragrant and this word sacrifice to remind us uh, of what Jesus is and to inspire us. He sacrificed for us as an offering of God and we ought to offer ourselves as a sacrifice that is pleasing to the one who has brought us into his family as we imitate his son, Jesus. He continues in three through seven, but among you there might must not be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. These are not in line with your new identities. These are out of character. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking. Are we paying attention, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving? For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. This time he gets more serious. He says, I want you to understand this, that if your life is driven by something other than God for a long, consistent period of time, you're probably not a Christian and you're not gonna get into heaven. I mean, we have, this, we have these terms we have these terms like a closet Christian or a worldly Christian or a fleshly Christian. And Paul's like, hey, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. If you think you have a new identity, but constantly and for a long period of time, all you see is this old identity, then you need to give your life to Jesus because you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. This is the most ignored type of language in the New Testament today. When I... Think about the way that the gospel is given to us. It's always like pray some prayer and you get to go to heaven someday. 
But, but the Bible is very, very clear and very, very insistent and pretty, con- and pretty constant in reminding us that if there is no change in our lives, then we are not actually Christians. We're not. We're not Christians if there is no change in our lives. If you go, well, I believe in all that new identity stuff, but everything I do, all my life is driven by what the world says and what my flesh wants and what I feel like doing. You're not a Christian. I don't care what you say you believe. You're not a Christian. The demons believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. That's what James declares. The demons believe that Jesus died for the sins of humanity. The question is not, do you mentally assert something to be true? The question is, have you placed yourself in Christ? Have you believed that he is the savior of the world and said, I will give you me? And if you do that, then you can go back to this passage. I mean, greed, get rid of it. I mean, all your money shouldn't be spent on self. I mean, you shouldn't be uh, an idolater. That's one's pretty obvious. You shouldn't coarsely joke. You shouldn't uh, have obscenities coming from your mouth. I mean, it's just not that complicated again. And then Paul says one more thing, and we'll finish with this. He says, for you were once in darkness. I mean, the old life was darkness. But now you are in light. You are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it's said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Light in the New Testament is about a godly morality. That's really the best definition I can give it. And darkness is about an ungodly immorality, not living uh, in light of what the Bible has said, what God has declared to us to be right and wrong. And Paul, Paul says, look, if you are Christian, your new identity is light. You are light now. And it is your job to show that light off. This is how I would illustrate that for you. Uh, Back when I was leading our young adult college group, uh, for a long period of time, we played glow-in-the-dark football after every, every time, every Thursday night. Um, even got kicked off the football field by the cops a couple of times. Uh, don't tell anybody. Um, and so this, this, is our, this is the ball we used, actually, and this is glow-in-the-dark football. And the problem that you uh, may know about glow-in-the-dark things is that you need to stick them up by the light for a really long time. This is probably why we got kicked off the field, because we'd bring a giant shop light down, and we'd take the ball over there, and we'd rotate it around like it was a pig being barbecued. Weird image to have come to my mind right there. Uh, And then it would light up, and then we'd go play football. And I think this is what Paul is describing for us. He's saying, look, if you've come into Christ, then you are constantly in the light, and therefore you become the light. You start to glow in a new way. Your morals change. Your life changes. Your decisions change. The choices you make on a daily basis change. And, and, and what Paul says that's really interesting here, and, and I think this is so beautiful, is that when we are lit up, we start to be the light of the world. We sing about that. We talk about that. Uh, we have many songs about that, in fact. And, and Paul is saying, like, we should be so in the light of Jesus, because of our new identity, because we have moved into Christ, that when we go into a dark world, 
people can't help but be illuminated by us. They can't help but see the difference. You see, we live and we just, I don't know, as Christians we think I'm regular, but Paul says you're not regular. You've been lit up by the God of the universe. You've been changed. You've been brought into a new identity and therefore you need to live differently. The Bible here, this passage, even the language suggests that it is our job to expose the deeds of darkness for what they are. That doesn't mean we run around yelling at everybody probably, but it means that our lives show such a difference and that we're prepared to give an answer when we need to and prepared to call out sin when we need to. And yet, we just kind of live like our old selves. I'll read 5.15 too. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Will you say, if you're a Christian, I am wise? This is what I want you to hear today. It's really simple. Really, really simple. Live according to your new identity. If you're a Christian, you've been brought into something that's better. If you're not a Christian, because that's what Paul means here at the end, wake up, sleep, or rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. What Paul means is, hey, if you're not a Christian, become one because we move into the light and it's better. But, but if you're a Christian, then you ought to live out your Christianity. If you're a Christian, you ought to live in the light of God. You ought to live a different life because your identity is different. And we'll talk about just a few of the specifics next week in our, our final passage of scripture in, in this series. Um, we'll talk about how that looks in certain roles in our lives. Uh, but this is, this is what you need to know. It's not that complicated. What you need to do is make a decision to say, to say I, I will, I will live how God wants me to live. And then open up your Bibles, read them, and then do them. Make a decision. I will follow you, Jesus, because I have a new identity in you, and I know how great it is, and I know who I've become. Open up the Bible, read it, and then live it out. Will you pray with me, Lord? I, I think that just so many people that I'm around, that I, that I know and love and care about, hopefully not as high of a percentage in our church, but, but just a lot of people that claim to be Christians, they don't live as Christians. They don't live in light of you or their new identities, Lord. They live really close to how they've always lived. They live according to how, God, uh, the world tells them it's okay to live. And it's wrong. And I pray, Lord, you know, I pray this. I pray for revival in our country. And I think what this passage shows, God, is that revival in our country will start only when we live out our identities and we glow, God, when we glow so that when people are around us, they go, wow, there's something different about them. And that is only, God, I believe, it's only going to happen when people like the people who are here with me right now 
make a decision to stop playing around with what you want. And instead, God, they make a decision to start doing what you ask them to do, no matter what the cost is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how much their flesh tells them not to or, or to go the opposite direction. Lord, I think we're, we're looking kind of in churches for, for something magical. But it's pretty magical, God, that you have given us your word and you have, you have kept it safe for thousands of years so that we can open it up and read it. It's pretty magical, God, that every single cell phone, smartphone anyway, God, now has your holy word on it. And we can read it at any point. And so I pray that we would not dismiss the miracles that you have done to help us live out our new identities, but instead, God, we would be excited about that and we would take it seriously and we would open your word and we would read your word and we would apply your word. God, help us not to mess around with having a renewed mind, but let us make a decision to follow hard after you. I pray, God, for those who aren't Christians, uh, those who will sit in front of me or who will listen online who don't know you, God, who have never given their lives to you. And I pray that they would give themselves to you, recognizing that, that, that we just have more in you. God, even if somebody starts shooting in the midst of our church gathering, we have an ability to forgive. And we have an ability to love because of what you have done in us by moving us into you and away from our old identities. Lord, I thank you for all that you have done in us, all that you have given us. And I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.